Good morning, everyone. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Yeah. Oh, thank you. And um, most of you guys have a better background or anybody from the app side here today? Yeah. Okay. So when we talk about uh, uh, the uh, uh, lab or a development environment, it's just a small environment. And once you take it to production, uh, the size and the scale of that is totally different. Uh, some, uh, some years back, this was the job of uh, the IQ operations team. And uh, nowadays, the boundaries between uh, operations and development has shrunk, especially with the advent of uh, DevOps and uh, uh, processes like agile and all that we are actually talking about the infrastructure of tools. So a lot of the things that uh, we used to traditionally hand over to other teams for management has changed, and then there are some nuances that uh, we need to be aware of uh, when we are developing tools. Right? There are uh, uh, situations where we want to design for uh, uh, availability, and there are some uh, design patterns that we want to use for making sure that it can work. Uh, in multiple instances of the application inputs. So those are the things that I'll cover today. Um, and we'll uh, walk you through from a single small-scale application that is uh, in, uh, in a very rudimentary format and we'll take it up to a bigger scale how we can. So uh, my name is Dave Kumar. I'm a cloud solution architect with Microsoft. Um, so my job is to help my customers to uh, to transform their applications, to modernize their applications, and bring uh, their apps to cloud and help with all those processes. So with that, uh, let me just move on here. So uh, just uh, before I go into the meat of the stuff, I will uh, talk a little bit about why we talk about cloud and uh, all these transformation stuff. So technology is omnipresent at this change of way we do things. And uh, companies are responding to this by doing several things. They engage customers more uh, and uh, transform products. Uh, the expectations from the customer is, is ever increasing. Uh, we cannot have systems that are running like in the scale and format that we used to have any of the periods back. People are expecting high availability 24 by 7 coverage, uh, all kind of things like that. So, and companies are empowering employees uh, to do, like, use more modern tools uh, to do experimentation with that. So there is the cloud uh, uh, philosophy is coming into picture. So they will allow you to make sure, uh, help you to like uh, use these tools and build stuff pretty quickly and uh, easily. So and optimization operations in all that stuff. So we'll just move on here. And uh, this is also an interesting government study that says that. Um, Around uh, 1 million new devices are coming every hour by 2020. And, and there is a lot of uh, things happening in the mobile world, right? Uh, the application is moving. Uh, you know, basically, if you are a bank or anything like that, if you are not supporting your uh, mobile application, then you are putting it out of business nowadays, right? Um, it's almost like you know, the web development and the mobile development are equally important. So we have new devices coming online and especially the new generation are very much uh, uh, doing their transactions in the mobile uh, space. And uh, the, the average lifespan of companies is also shrinking. Uh, this is because the 
changing um, uh, technologies that are coming up and uh, the struggle to be there is always uh, is much much higher nowadays and, uh, and again we are all going to cloud. 60% uh, is supposed to be cloud which also means that there will be some sort of computing that will still happen within uh, on-prem. That's the design philosophy of Microsoft. We actually always believe in hybrid cloud. So most of our tools are we are actually catering towards uh, uh, you know a multi-cloud uh, hybrid cloud infrastructure. Same tools you can bring uh, to cloud as well as uh, to, to the um, to the on-prem environment. So that's kind of the thing that we always uh, care about. Um, now uh, I think you all, all know these things. I just wanted to bring you into the conversation so uh, how this things evolved. Uh, in the beginning, we always had uh, uh, mainframes, and uh, all of all we were doing is like a terminal, and the jobs were running in the mainframes. And the terminal was a dumb terminal. It actually displays what is happening in the, in the, uh, in the mainframes. Then we actually moved towards a little bit more of distributed computing. Uh, where you actually type multiple mainframes and then uh, kind of uh, you know move the critical jobs from one place to the other, uh, adding all these things. And then later on, we came up with the client server model, uh, basically evolved the fat client, uh, which means that uh, your terminals are not dumb anymore. You do a lot of processing on the terminal or on, on the customer side itself. Which is also a nightmare. You have to deploy the app on the on the customer side, keep it up, and uh, you cannot scale that. If you have thousands and thousands of users, you're going to have uh, them updating uh, their application. So then, uh, basically, we just uh, that, that was more like a consolidation effort uh, into a single VC large servers. Then we actually still went to, towards uh, distributed computing. And uh, with message-oriented architecture and uh, more enterprise layering and all sorts of things happen. And uh, again, we have high-density forms and then the computation uh, moved towards internet. And your uh, fat line is becoming a browser now. So basically, the browser is doing all the, uh, the, the customer-facing stuff. And then you will have uh, your application running in a farm-based environment, like you know, a lot of stuff. Right? Those things happen. And virtualization came up, and eventually we have cloud. So cloud is basically you have uh, you're moving away from your on-prem, and then somebody else is hosting uh, your uh, data center for you. It's almost like uh, producing your electricity versus uh, buying your electricity from the grid. So it's almost a similar concept. Um, now let's uh, move on to. Um, some of the essential uh, aspects of the cloud. And um, probably you guys know all these things, but uh, I just wanted to refresh my memory here. Uh, so, when we talk about the essential characteristics of cloud, uh, we are talking about on demand self service. The cloud has to be, is, is a service that is uh, self managed. Like, people are subscribing to cloud and they actually uh, orchestrate and spin off their environment in the cloud. And uh, for that, uh, easy provisioning, uh, faster provisioning is required. There is no need to call somebody and ask them to do all these things for you. And one of those days when we actually wait for 10 uh, or 3 months for the server to be available and work with the team and to provision it and uh, all sorts of things. So, and then the second part of it is the network uh, access, right? Uh, the um, cloud is accessible uh, across the world to a variety of users, a variety of uh, Devices, all sorts of combinations. So it is just not a single platform that your company only uses. 
it is going to be used by several customers. So you should have a way to have uh, the network access available, and so we have a highly scalable uh, software-defined networking as part of the cloud. And then the resource pooling is almost like a multi-tenant environment. So it's a multi-tenant environment where uh, you have common services. You can actually have uh, several users use the same thing. So it's, you're living in an apartment, so you have boundaries across your place. And we need to have all the security aspects and the pooling of aspects. It's the economies of scale, pretty much. And you are sharing stuff and then you are getting money out of it, right? So because you are just using part of it. And then, uh, you know, you know, measured services, you are moving from capital expenses to operating expenses. So you need to make sure that you are measuring how much people are using and charging and writing. That's also an aspect of cloud. This is how a data center differs from cloud, right? Uh, data center, you have everything that you just use it, you don't care about all these kind of things. Maybe there are some of those, but that's not uh, in the scale as well. And then the last entity, you'll be able to uh, scale up and down as soon as uh, you want. Now, I think you also know this part. Uh, it's about the differentiation between the different models in cloud. So when you are running on-prem, you package everything, you run everything, you own everything, and you are responsible for making sure that all these things uh, are maintained. And there's a lot of work and heavy lifting in there. But uh, in the infrastructure services, you own uh, the server. And then uh, everything above that, you own. Basically, maintaining the patches on the operating system, uh, maintaining uh, the, uh, you know, um, any malware protection, all sorts of things. It's almost like you are renting a server and you are building on top of it. So everything below that, providing that server is the job of the cloud provider, but everything else is yours. See, from that, you can actually optimize your operations or your environment by moving towards a fast service. In a fast service, you get a platform. You don't manage servers, but you only get services that you need to get. And then you only manage the applications and the data that you put on those platforms. Um, so basically, a lot of the work, uh, non-business specific work, non-application specific work is moved away from you. And uh, when you are in a software as a service, you don't care about all these things, you just only care about your account. You just have an account and you provision your account to use them, like, for example, like a uh, Microsoft Office 365. Um, and I also want to talk about the big picture on network, how the network works in a cloud environment. So there are multiple uh, uh, elements to this. You will have uh, an on-premises environment and you will have your customers. The customers come from the internet. Uh, the on-prem environment gets connected to your uh, uh, Azure uh, cloud. So basically you have a localized network in your environment. And uh, by virtue of moving towards cloud, you are extending your localized environment. So you have uh, a set of servers with a set of local IP addresses. You wanted to have that and move towards like kind of half of the space in the cloud and extend that to the cloud as well. So basically that is called the virtual network. Virtual network is a logical boundary for your uh, for your uh, uh, for your data center or like uh, for your cloud space uh, where uh, it almost seems like uh, these servers sitting in the virtual network are in the vicinity of your own environment. This uh, um, environment basically you connect them to uh, Technologies like Express Route, which is a dedicated line, or you could do a VPN tunnel. VPN uses a, a, a traffic over 
internet, but it is a tunnel. It's a, there is no, not like a physical tunnel, but it is a logical tunnel created because of encryption. Like nobody else sees that traffic, so it is almost like you are going through a tunnel. And with that tunnel, uh, the uh, branch office or whatever office you can connect to internet is Azure. And uh, your local uh, machines are sitting here, and then this goes, and then everything else gets added to your network. So that's how you. This is primarily uh, important for your IaaS servers. Basically, your server extends, uh, your server space extends to the cloud. But for fast services, it's more shared. So they will be in a different space. But there are technologies that you can use uh, to tie those fast services into your virtual network by using something called uh, service endpoints and all that. Matter. But obviously, fast services are more for uh, uh, it's, it's, it's again a shared service, but you can have dedicated instances depending on the tier of service that you buy. So that's how you save money in fast services. So Express Route is a dedicated line from your uh, one-time to Azure. The, this, uh, you have provided, uh, there are three different ways, a couple of different ways you can uh, do Express Route. So you have, um, let's say you have used some service providers for that. So you wire up to the service provider in a co-location facility. And then Microsoft has a presence in that facility. And this is a dedicated line to that facility and Microsoft has a dedicated line. And you actually interconnect in that uh, in that co-location. And interconnection is a logical connection. You just make sure that these kind of packets coming from these stores uh, is routed into a Microsoft. And you can do that way, or there is another place that you have an MVLS band uh, where uh, you have a provider that connects all your branch offices and all that. If the MVLS provider has a connectivity to Azure, you don't do anything, you just uh, tell that these kind of packet headers are going towards that and the routing takes care of that. So basically it is a dedicated line, just like you lay out your connectivity between your, between your uh, environments, right? But in uh, the normal VPN mode, you don't have a line that is drawn, but it is just sent out to the internet with the encryption. Right. And then it goes all the way to that. This is express route encryption as well? Yes. I don't think they will publish that, it may be some of them internally, but I know that it is available for uh, SQL. Storage and storage. SQL are having any other streaming There is a link, if you search for service endpoints, you will see currently available services. Okay. I don't see the thing that is coming in. Yeah, that is it's probably not published. And we don't even know that. We have to go and ask them that they will say some of them are NDA, they will share it, but then they won't. Exactly therefore they still use right. So and again some of them are driven by prioritization by customer ask. Oh, what is the service endpoint? Uh, service endpoint is uh, it's a path service is is a shared service, right? So let's say you are uh, creating an app service. So you can post your app on that, but the app service is not running in a uh, in a unit. It's not running in your uh, local area network. It's running in a Microsoft network. Okay. And uh, you put your app in that, and it has a public endpoint, and people connect to that app. Right. 
and uh, some people don't like it. And even though it may have a public endpoint for the customers, but they don't want to have uh, the management of all that through public endpoints. Right. So they will have, they will sometimes even like, let's say you need a public endpoint. So you make, make you, uh, you cancel out all the public uh, facing uh, part of the app and, uh, and force it uh, to move, uh, to have it uh, connected to your VNet. Okay. Basically it becomes, it cannot be deployed on the VNet because VNet is like a logical construct. It is always deployed on the Microsoft network, but then it seems as if it is part of the VNet. Like you can, you can force it through what could be VNet. Based on the network rules. Yeah, it's, it's probably it's more secure than anybody can not reach other than your own. Yeah, nobody else can route into that uh, outside that VNet. Okay. So essentially, you have your own network. Right. It, 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 yeah, it is obviously because the virtual network is coming and going. Like it's, it's a it's a volatile concept. Like you just create a virtual network, and nobody else pays for. So you cannot put all your cloud services everywhere like that, right? It has to be in its own space. Yeah. yeah. And but then you will tie them together. Okay. Okay. So this is actually the the, the primitive form of uh, an app. Which is a lab environment or uh, a development environment. So what we are doing here is that you are lifting and shifting a small app into the cloud. So um, you have uh, in, in this scenario you have a virtual machine and a bunch of uh, storage accounts, and we have some disks attached with the virtual machine. And some of the considerations here is how much is the size of the virtual machine. Uh, whether it is um, uh, you know storage optimized, compute optimized, or things like that, and uh, what type of data you want, you want premium storage, SSDs, or hard disk, uh, standard hard disk, or or uh, things uh, such. Uh, what is the what is the scale you need? And then um, you also may use uh, uh, storage devices for like storage account for any any shared drives that you may have. So this is a very easy concept, like. This could be used for uh, a web application or any, uh, you know, any computer-oriented application. Like let's say you have a video processing or things like that. You can easily do this, but you still own the servers. And sorry, you run the servers, but uh, you will own the management of all the servers. It's not a pass. It's not as running it in the end. Now let's go into the next level. How do we make it a little more uh, resilient? Uh, let's say in the single server mode, if the server goes down for any reason, then you don't have a place to stand. You don't have your app, your app is out. So we just uh, make it a little bit more available by adding another server. So we actually add an external load balancer here. The load balancer is actually uh, balancing the load between these two servers. And you will not know the availability steps in the next slide. Uh, so that's a protection that you need to take care when you are putting multiple servers. You, you want to isolate uh, where they are uh, located. Like you don't want to have a bunch of servers sitting in the same place and one of them goes down uh, because of the vicinity of all the uh, you know the infrastructure. We don't want the other one to go, go down as well. You want it to separate out as much as possible away. So that if this is down, then your load balancer will still go to the other one. So that's the concept. So um, the NSG is actually another concept like when you are like trying to balance the game uh, from a load balancer into multiple servers. NSG is a network security group. It's actually a fight to fall. Um, it gives you, it's just a table uh, where you have some several inputs and an output, whether allow or deny is the output. 
inputs are like your source uh, IP address, your port, destination IP, and destination port, and then the protocol that you are using. Um, so you just say that this protocol, this source destination is allowed, this is not allowed. So that's kind of the rule. Then it's just like a table of uh, table for validating your traffic. Um, so this is how you can actually make it a little bit better by making it running into two places at the same time. Now let's look at what is the availability zone and an availability set. So uh, in you, when you look at a region in a, in Microsoft uh, region, um, you will have multiple data centers in the region. Uh, so each each data center we call it availability zone. And by virtue of being in separate buildings, you are having uh, the you know the physical infrastructure is different. Like you will not have uh, different power supply, different switches, different racks. All of them are different, and these are all separated by some airspace. So uh, if you have a server here and a server here, if the whole building goes down, the second server will survive, and that's the concept of that. And now, uh, not all regions may have available zones because it is uh, you should have multiple buildings and infrastructure. Some of them may not have, and even whether you have um, availability zones or not, uh, the concept within the data center is called availability set. So I am expanding this part. Uh, this is a um, Azure uh, data center, and if you go to the Azure data center here, um, you can actually isolate based on availability sets. So the uh, availability set uses two concepts. One is called a yeah. Yeah. so uh, we have two things in the availability set called fault domain and an update domain. A fault domain means that uh, it is isolated by racks and power supplies and switches within the building. And if two, if two servers are in two different availability sets, they will not share any power supplies or switches or an order. So if this rack goes down, uh, you will survive that. And the availability, the update domain means that uh, there is a schedule of updates. Like if you are uh, uh, having a server in Azure, uh, we at Microsoft come and update and do patches into the server, right? So. By being in two different update domains, we will not pick up those two at the same time for updates. So this one actually uh, prevents from unplanned outages, like a rack goes down. This uh, prevents uh, outage using during planned outages, right? So if you have like four servers, you can actually put uh, two of them here, two of them here. The two here can be in two different availabilities. So that way you have maximum uh, isolation. Yes. So. I'm actually more familiar with like adding functions. Okay. But in the adding function world, can you, can you do that? Like, do you have to do that? No, that's the uh, idea of Azure. So it will, uh, Azure will create care of all that stuff for you. That's the idea of having being a task. Right. Okay. The reason I ask that is I, I noticed at times that a function will start, you know, not behaving. And my guess is that it's because they're deploying like new, yeah, newer. Um, yeah, so there are two different uh, ways of doing functions. One is a consumption model and app server yeah, model. Yeah, if it is a consumption model, it's a very transient model. It has to bring up the app or the server. You know, yeah. function is basically a, a machine running at the back end and then uh, hosting that environment for you. But when you are using consumption model, it is paid, paid for use. And uh, so it has to bring up the whole environment every time you start this function, right? So depending on the load and noisy neighbors and all kinds of things, it could be. Uh, yeah. Not very predictable, right? So when, but if you re 
same kind of degree, it's a sort of a function which right. is more like, but yeah. still, we are talking about, uh, you know, uh, performance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is there any way with the consumption to sort of guarantee that your your, your functions are deployed in, yes. uh, uh, in separate, separate uh, availability sets or anything like that? The functions per se is uh, only one server. And so it's a, it's a point in time question, right? Okay. There is no redundancy there usually. And, uh, you know, the Microsoft backbone should take care of all that. Okay, thank you. If you, if you um, deploy the viability zone, um, technically, can your updates get done at the same time on those three? So, if you could, like, could you deploy it in an availability zone, uh -huh. uh, deploy a server or whatever in an availability zone? We've got three instances of it. Um, is it likely the availability set that it won't actually update? Three servers at the same time. No, if you if you want to put that, there is no you are not deciding where to put these things, right? Right. You just go and select I need an availability set, right? And then it will distribute it in different sets. Okay. Yeah, the sets I understand, right? Because I understand that you've got um, full domains and update domains, right? What I'm asking is if you deploy only in an availability zone without a availability set. Oh, okay. Will you get the same update domains or full domains? I have to check on that. I don't know. Um, yeah. I think uh, uh, if you go by available zone, uh, Microsoft internally will take care of. Uh, so they, they yeah. would never update yeah. two zones at the yeah. same time. It's, uh, right. Yeah, I mean, if you're already at available zone level, uh, you know, it should take care of that. Yeah, because uh, I mean, the, the, the SLA is going to be. Like, the highest uh, SLA you can get. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So you would hope Yeah, I think, I mean, I hope they are not set down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Hard question. Yes. You got all services as part of Microsoft platform and services outside the company. Like I do, I do that. What do you mean? All the services as part of Microsoft platform? Yes. When, what is bad phone? I don't know. And this request coming um, from the Microsoft is one location of one backbone that can layer. So if you say backbone as the networking infrastructure, if you think about that, um, uh, you know, we, the, we have internal uh, connectivity from all one region to the other and across the world. So Microsoft uh, has, I think, it's one of the biggest uh, fiber uh, right? We have fiber laid out all over. Uh, but uh, you know, all these services are deployed within Microsoft. That's it. We are not uh, putting it in anywhere else. Right? My question is because sometimes you have the IP version of apps. It's not the app level, it's the components sits on IAS of the organization. But that's maintained the app stack? Maintained by Microsoft, but owned by the organization. Yeah, there are some.
Yeah, so I'm sorry, I'm just. So um, now we are actually um, going one step further. Um, basically, in the previous blueprint, um, uh, we just had servers and uh, uh, media databases, but uh, everything is a monolithic application. We have the app running in a single server. Now we are actually making it layer, making the different layers and tiers. So um, in a in a very uh, modern application, we don't want to run everything in a single server. We are actually delegating responsibilities uh, into different tiers, so we will have a different tier. So basically, this is the passing MVC paradigm. If you remember those model view controller, um, you have a model which is your uh, data and everything, and a view. You have you are looking at the app from a view, which is a presentation layer, and then you have a controller, which is actually doing all the business logic, right? So. Uh, changes in the controller should not affect your view, and the view changes are uh, should be contained within the view. And the model changes, if there are model changes like your tables change and all that, your controller should be aware of that and you should take care of that. So we are actually not making, we are making sure that, just an example of a car, if you, if you say your car has to, if you are changing a tire and if you have to change your engine, then that's kind of a bad design. So we don't want that. Right? So, same thing here. So basically, this, uh, scenario, what, what I'm doing is uh, you have a load balancer that actually takes uh, the traffic across multiple instances of the virtual machine in your web tier. And in the web tier, it is, uh, it is going to talk to the, the business tier, but you are not uh, tightly coupling any machines to any machine. You are actually using a balancer here so that you are only talking to the load balancer which will find an available server within that one. That's what it is doing, and then the same thing for database. Database usually uh, you don't, you cannot have multi-master databases. That's kind of this arrow here, but uh, you know, it could be a replica of the database. But mostly you will be switching over from this database to this one. This other one goes out there. So, yeah. uh, so, so this is great for having, so like you said, having a couple. But how's performance affected today? So I will talk about scalability and performance in the next couple of slides. This is the basic stuff, right? You are just, I'm actually, a, you know, from a monolithic application, I'm going to provide a more, um, you know, um, what do you call it, compartmentalized type design. So, now, yeah, let's talk about uh, the, how we do the salient application. So, we just talked about a couple of these things already. And if you are in a single virtual machine, any hardware failure, you are pretty much lost, right? You don't have anything. So, in, a, um, in the availability sets, if your rack or something fails, you still have an, another place to. And again, when you go to pass services, a lot of these things are transparent. You don't really care about it. You are using a service which Microsoft is sponsoring it provides the SLA for all that. Um, so, when the rack fails, you go into the other rack. Uh, in the availability zone, you are actually protected against a data center outage. Basically, you just have multiple data centers connected to them. And then now we are talking about a natural disaster, which is basically you are uh, thinking that your whole region goes down. Maybe there is a like some natural calamity or whatever. So in that scenario, you have a replication scenario where you. Uh, have all your data replicated to another region, and then you could make it 
more an act like an active active uh, type mode where the traffic goes to both places at the same time and if this uh, data center is or the region is out you can actually go to the other region or even make it active passing with the manual failover and all. So this is these are this is the evolution of the application from a single server to a multi-region application, right? So and again this actually prevents the this actually gives you high availability and ER, but then there is another thing called backup, which is for data corruption. This is uh, similar to your old, old school day backups. When uh, the data is corrupt, you will have to go back to your old data and then bring it. Whether you have this or not, uh, backups are important because your app may fail up sometime due to whatever reasons it is. Everything infrastructure is there, but the app data is bad, and so you will have something to take and uh, to bring back the app for that old backup. One question you know, um, you have the data center out in this when Eastern region ECS go down for an hour, why would it take so much of time? Because if you have an advance of backup, then you can reload the traffic. It generally takes about an hour and two hours when zone completely down in Eastern especially if not of that happens in ECS. Yes, I mean like uh, it's it's down, it takes for one zone hour or a set complete zone. Yeah, zone outage is maybe uh, difficult because it's a whole building is gone, right? Uh, finding out the, re the real root cause of that would be anything. Um, but while you're doing it, you can, you can, application can read out the different backup zone, whatever you are You don't have to feel like a customer. Yeah, so product. that is, uh, I mean, if you are using a, an ISR, is uh, part of that is mass offering. Yes, oh, for mass offering. Okay. Uh, I, I, these things are very complex sometimes. Like, you know, sometimes we don't, it's a case to case basis, right? If it is something that is easily switchable, then obviously we'll do it. But uh, just, uh, in, you know, Passover is the Microsoft owns the responsibility to make sure as fast as we get back to the other Yeah, I can understand the zone, they may power out the power card, so the AI has come back. But my 999, 499 has to lead out to somewhere else, then my application should come up again. Yeah. yeah, so there are the configuration of that is actually important, right? So if you are having uh, a manual failover, then uh, I, mean, I don't know what part of class service you are talking about, but if you let's say you are talking about the app service, right? If you have uh, app services in two regions or in two zones or whatever, then um, if your application is not designed to automatically go into the other place, then you will have to do some sort of uh, you know manual configuration to route the traffic in the net. So that is actually a delay, right? So uh, that's what I will talk about a little bit of those things as well, right? Autom automation and uh, failover automatically. Now let's talk about uh, how a task based application deployment looks like. So we just talked about IaaS mode. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, I think I'll work after right. So, um, in the past model, uh, basically, we uh, don't use any server. We are actually moving everything to a past model. Uh, instead of having servers, we are deploying an app service. And uh, uh, instead of the database, we are using Azure database. And this is a logical server. There is no uh, physical server, but we get a logical database server. And your database instance is on that. And, uh, and you will have an internet facing endpoint for your app, and you can post that uh, in an Azure DNS or a DNS of your own post. So, this is how you will build that in a past model. 
Now let's uh, move in. How do we improve scalability of the task now, right? So in the previous environment, we were again we were talking about if you look at the differentiation in the in the past in the IaaS model where you had a single monolithic application and a business tier app. Uh, you could actually have multiple apps or tiers, but then I'm not putting I'm not putting that in the picture now. So uh, this way, I am actually trying to make sure that the round trip time for my app is uh, as uh, good as possible, right? I wanted to do a transaction uh, for the user, and I don't want to be tied by some of those services that are actually in the backend. Uh, so I wanted to schedule uh, some of those and push it out uh, from the app, and then get back to the customer as soon as possible. So I will have the thin layer of the app here, and I can even split it into app web and all that stuff here. But uh, it's just I'm doing it individually. But anyway, we will use some load leveling type. Uh, Concepts which will make sure that you are separating um, uh, some of those uh, synchronous versus asynchronous processes in the app, right? You just uh, okay. I'm just uh, I have a request. I have to serve the customer as soon as possible. But then uh, let's say the, uh, the user is putting a own application or whatever, and then I'm just putting it in the queue for somebody else to come and pick it up. But I'm not waiting for something to happen and all that. So. Uh, this is a remote call or whatever. Instead of that, you can use other technology. Right? And then the Redis cache is another way you can do performance. Uh, um, you can have a SQL Server uh, at the back end or off of EV, but um, you know, instead of reading directly from the database all the time, you can actually use a Redis cache uh, to. Uh, and again, uh, the other, other things are like that CDN. Uh, CDN is actually a common delivery network. If you have uh, an application that is globally distributed. Every time when the user comes in and for any static assets like images or uh, you know, some of those texts which are static, it doesn't have to go all the way to the app. You can actually deploy these things in the CDN, which are like endpoint edge processing, right? So I am here in DC. Let's say let's say the server is in let's uh, use it as like in somewhere in California or whatever. So I wanted to have my page loaded as fast as possible. So my static assets are sitting in the edges, uh, you know, that is a CDN model. And if I use add a blob uh, to get those uh, edges and all that. Uh, so this is, um, I have rushed through. Uh, yeah. Is there a reason that we don't use traffic managers that are uploaded? Yeah, I have it. So this is a, uh, another way you can actually make sure the application is available. Uh, so you can have staging uh, slots in the app. So within the same app service, you can have multiple uh, code bases, right? You can have a production environment, and then you are moving your new code into the staging, and then your last code, like the previous version of the application, in another slot. And when you put uh, a new version into production, uh, you can swap it like an old current version of production comes to staging, and then this is a three-year-old code. But if this doesn't work for any chance, then you can actually switch back and then save your environment. Or if the whole thing is messed up, then you can actually go back to another version, right? Older version or something. So, but this is only talking about application. You should be aware of uh, database problems, like you know, uh, when you are like deploying an application, sometimes you could make changes to Eva and all that. And you should be aware of how to track back and then the wallet. I'm not talking about database here. 
and these are some of the patterns for uh, availabilities but uh, I will quickly uh, have to go through now and so um, the health check endpoint is uh, when we are using uh, an application you don't want an app to be constrained by uh, the non-availability of another service like let's say you have a service over in an architecture uh, uh, service A and service B are running service A or service B and if service B is down, your application has to be called in such a way that it should be aware that B is down and not wait endlessly for it. Right? So you should have a health check type of situation. This is pretty much useful in the term in the traffic manager and load balancers and all that will implement it in itself. But if you're writing an application uh, to be using another application, you should have those checks, like make sure that okay, and you should have a condition B, like if this is not available, what am I doing? Uh, things like that. So that's kind of a architecture within your application that you should be aware of. And this is the key based rule leveling that we talked about and uh, we have uh, many uh, uh, two systems that are like asynchronously communicating and this service could be loaded based on the conditions at that time. There may be other applications that are using the service, there may be uh, resource constraints and all that. So if you are, if the other task is waiting on this endlessly then you will have a problem if it does not stand. So you basically push your uh, stuff into a queue and this will consume it at its own pace, right? So this is um, the standard way of uh, leveling your load. Um, but then the issue is what if your queue goes down? Yeah, the queue goes down and <laughs> Then you're screwed. Wait, sorry. This guy is doing all these things. Yeah. But the queues are actually, you can even have VR for queues. Yeah. yeah. But then that means that, uh, you know, it is not, uh, it may need some manual control. Well, it won't have as much of a speed if you have to have VR. Yeah. You have to be Kafka or something. Well, still, Kafka, you can't scale. Uh, officially, you can't. There's like something called Mirror Maker that will move data around, but it's um, it's not as good as it should be because it's like master master. It's still master. Yeah. Okay, so I think Fortling, you know that, right? If you don't want to have, uh, um, so let's say there are two, uh, two services and you are, um, you need the load on this A to B is going up, then you can actually throttle it sometimes. Like this B is not a critical uh, service, you can say, after 10,000 uh, requests, you are not going to solve anything more, right? So those kind of things, the rate limiting and tiering, disabling uh, the function, you say this is this service is not available now, for example, right? So uh, things like that. And uh, all right, cool. Now uh, we just talked about KMD. Now for availability, we have uh, in itself almost the same concept. Uh, you have a region A and a region B uh, with a, a load balancer. And uh, you have a database replication, it's a pure application. Uh, right now, I think that uh, CPROLES will be multi master. But um, so basically, you still use the same uh, database, but uh, your application is possible. When this goes down, then you may have to switch um, your database into the other uh, database. But this gives you global redundancy. That was the idea on the map replication. As you're seeing right? Yeah, Cosmos is right. You basically put your queue in Cosmos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so I think uh, you guys are all uh, database guys, I'm not so much. Uh, so when you write the code, it's two hours, right? What's that? So when you write the code, it's two hours. Yeah, right. 
So this is uh, another way, I mean, uh, also we can talk about this, right? So this is how you have your application from your database. Like the, I'm expanding that part of the database in the previous slide. Um, so you can, uh, if this goes down, if you go to the secondary region, and you can have a traffic manager to access this database if you want. That's another pattern. Alright, so, so you asked about uh, front door, right? There is a difference between front door and the traffic manager. Traffic manager is a DNS level load uh, balancer. It's a global traffic manager. You get a single endpoint. You go there and the traffic manager will have rules to route your traffic, right? It could be any number of uh, rules such as visibility, like your, uh, how much is it, latency. Or um, you can have active passive, all sorts of things. Like it can route into any place. But it is just a DNS selector, right? I am just saying that I want to go somewhere and it goes, it decides where to go. And again, once you hit the uh, add traffic manager, the traffic from the active traffic manager to add is still true in but front door is actually an edge, it's a point of presence service from Azure. So it will deploy this front door across all regions. And so when you hit the front door, you're already in Azure. And so that way, the front door is a single uh, name space, but then when you hit there, you are already in Azure and you go to the right region. So it's much faster. But, and it's also a VAF, like a web application firewall. So it gives you, um, uh, um, no, traffic manager is pretty much a DNS. It doesn't have any rules or anything attached to it. It's just a selector, right? And it can take any traffic like PCP or anything like that. But front door is pretty much a HTML platform, right? It's a web 7 or like layer 7 advertise. And so you can write rules like, okay, this uh, particular URL then do something, another URL do something, all kinds of things. But uh, traffic manager cannot do all that. It is just forward. You can put traffic manager in front of front door. Yeah. Uh, yes, you can. If you have several different applications. Yeah, right, right, yeah. yeah. Or would you need to, could you do like a proxy, you know, like URL based proxying in front door? Or let's say if you have yeah, one, yes. okay. Yes, okay. It does that. Uh, but uh, the, the catch here is front door, traffic manager is optimized for HTML. If your traffic is like another protocol, then probably you cannot use that. Right. A friend door is a traffic manager is a Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is traffic manager, right? You hit this control.com uh, and traffic manager decides where to go. You can have different rules like latency. The process service around Robin it goes uh, one, two, three, one, two, three, like that. Keep rotating, fade over, um, you know, always like uh, it, it does a health check. If the health check fails, it can fade over to the other region. But it could be nested. You can write your own rules. You can add up all these if that, if that kind of rules. So, does this front door have the front door attack with the cloud front? Cloud front, you have something that can pull the cloud front is like a union, right? Cloudfront does have CDN, and does have like, yeah. CDN. Cloudfront Cloud is equivalent to Azure CDN, but it does have buffer. Yeah, but um, front door is sort of CDN because it is a, a point of present service at edges, right? With the load balancing capability, like uh, if the rules engine for routing 
But for every Syrian divert, you have to say Syrian. Uh, Syrian will have uh, uh, the difference is that Syrian will, uh, will uh, take the static assets from whatever server it is and keep reflecting it based on your time to leave India. And uh, so that is the, the, the actual. I think uh, Syrian comes after track is front door. You give the website and then you have assets that you uh, order to serve as close as possible. Right. I think the most valuable thing to talk to our listeners because it's an Azure site, it doesn't have to provide machine data or Yeah, machines. Yeah. yeah. So it actually, it is, there is a, the most important thing, you know, there is, uh, a, a, you know, I've seen a timing diagram where um, the latency of AWS and uh, front row, front row is almost very fast. Like, we have, you see the line at the very bottom of the screen. Actually, it is a very good service people are uh, using it more and more. As you guys probably know this type of uh, layer. So you have the front door in the front and then you have node balancers. This is the HTTP layers. If it's a traffic manager, it's a DNS. If the front door, it is a, a layer 7 uh, node balancer. You can have a, a lever. Uh, if you are hosting it in a virtual machine, for example, you can have load balancers in front. And then you can also have application gateway. This is uh, but if you are using front door, application gateway is dependent on your product details. Because uh, front door will do lots of things. Even if you have front door at the top level here, yeah. you can manage the URL structure all the way down? Yes. So it would know, for example, if we depended on EMEA, you go to slash whatever, it'll persist that all the way to the VMware. Right, right. But you can, if you want, within a region, you want to do some stuff. Uh, App Gateway is a region only service. I think we talked about the front door service. Cosmos DB, I'm not a specialist uh, on database side, but I just wanted to put this up because I, when you are uh, doing a, a global requirement, Cosmos DB is a very good tool for you. It's a globally percent, globally available uh, database. Uh, we have multiple. Uh, uh, protocols that you can support, you can do the uh, data in different ways, and uh, it actually supports uh, a different uh, consistency model. You guys already know this. Uh, the strong consistency means like um, the data is always uh, consistent. Like you know, every the the the, the reads cannot receive the the writes in any any fashion. And the way to consistency is like you just try to. You write it and then you get whatever you can get. Uh, so this gives you more availability and higher throughput uh, because you are going to be faster and faster. But depending on your application, you have to take some of those uh, uh, consistency levels. Like, let's say you have an application running uh, all over the world and then you know that uh, your users in the US are going and doing certain things, but your users in Japan are doing. It may not overlap, then you can even use the consistency for oh, session level consistency, right? The sessions which are in that particular session are consistent. Uh, you have to make a choice from the consistency levels. Yeah, so this is another, I just wanted to give an example of an app that we deployed for another customer. Uh, they have a application that was uh, globally uh, available uh, and uh, it's a it's, it's a single page application. Uh, they 
they have uh, on-premises environment and this is uh, through Microsoft uh, and uh, basically this is the on-inbound uh, user for the app flow. The user actually hits the front door and then it hits one of the apps and uh, the data is uh, coming from a Cosmos TV that is globally available across the board uh, and then we use Azure Cache for session replication. Right? This is another concept you need to know because let's say the whole thing goes down and then you are routing the user from this to here and let's say he is in uh, he or she is like half done and then your something goes down and then whatever is entered the session state has to be preserved and it has to be moved into another server. So that's why we uh, take this and then replicate it into the other mode and your session is preserved and then you just continue with the other app. Uh, and here uh, we actually use some of the concepts like this service endpoints like I'm locking down this uh, uh, gateway so that nobody else can pick this endpoint and uh, we do IP restrictions and uh, we do VNet integration here. This is within a VNet and this VM only can access this app service. Uh, and this is uh, uh, and in the in the outbound flow, the app gateway has the domain services or the public IP services. So this is the application of the app. Gateway app. Oh, it's an app. It's an app. We call it. It's on the it's on the public services. No, it's it's private. Private. Yeah. And then you have an IP attached to it. It has a private IP attached. Uh, so that's the access restriction, and here it is the VNet integration. So basically, this VNet to this, uh, basically because of these two are in the same VNet, we can already talk to this. Yeah. Now, when you go into the outbound mode, um, this, uh, you know, basically what happens is this uh, has a database and is an application that has some things, some events are now happening. We are pushing everything back into the Cosmos DB uh, for this app to, uh, to use. So basically, the app comes and updates the Cosmos DB, and uh, this comes and then updates the Cosmos DB and does some back and forth. Uh, so here it is actually still using uh, you know some of those concepts that we talked about. Like say, whenever even happens here, it uses the gateway service. It calls the gateway and then pushes into a queue, and the queue calls uh, and the function app comes and uh, retrieves the queue and then updates and uses this app to update the database or the Cosmos DB. So this is the Going so this is a separate application used in on-site where they work with this app and then create uh, some sort of a data and all that stuff. I just wanted to show you in a real life example. I don't have a lot of time now, but I think uh, I wanted to cover microservices, but this is the next le level. We wanted to uh, make the application available and less maintenance. Basically, in the NPR application, we have uh, more apps and now you have services, right? So you are uh, shredding the application, right? In the database also you can do that. And you are actually taking the app and uh, and making it, uh, an app is a sigma of all these services, right? So basically, each service can manage at a smaller level. So the outage can be minimized in that sense. And then there is also a pattern that you can actually search for uh, Azure architecture patterns and you can see all these things. And this is how you will, uh, because I'm out of time, I will prove and I will also show about. Now let's talk about DevOps. Uh, with all these things, you, you also want to make sure that your global app is uh, deployed and maintained quickly. 
right? You can go uh, all lot of things on your uh, deployment, but then code movement and development has to be fast enough uh, to survive that. So that's why we use DevOps. DevOps actually has multiple elements. You plan and track your work all the all the way to the release. And then uh, you have a developer task, uh, you just uh, come from here and build based on the plan. And there is a, uh, this, this is a DevOps line, more like operations DevOps, and this is more like planning and execution. Right, so um, Azure DevOps is a managed service that gives you all these things. You know, uh, traditionally, you can actually host all these things in your own environment, but uh, Azure DevOps is a platform service that you can uh, build pipelines and all that, and it is friendly with the, all sorts of tools like this. Like you can bring your own tools, and then Azure DevOps can support all that, and you can build your pipelines and all that. So, um, yeah. Now, uh, are you good? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you have this is another. This is the, using Azure DevOps. Actually, you can use uh, Visual Studio to publish into Azure repos, which could be a uh, or something under the cover, and then the pipelines you can define the CI pipelines, integration pipelines, and deploying pipelines, and you can deploy into all that stuff. And then the app editor, app monitoring, app insights can give you feedback, and then you can develop it. Um, so, I also have another uh, slide for uh, for the maps. You can do the same thing for the maps as well. I think that concludes my session today. Thanks for listening. Hopefully it was useful. If you have any questions, please. Uh,